Amen. You can be seated. Well, I hope many of you were able to follow along this past week with the devotional. I know that uh, all of them were really good, thought-provoking, and they really did challenge me. Uh, and then we have another week coming, a 70-day journey, uh, 10 full weeks, and we're in week two, as Jonathan said. And today we're talking about the whole idea of personal worship, personal worship. Uh, look there on the outline, if you will. I want to jump right in this morning because there's some places I want to take you this morning as it relates to, to the whole idea of worship and how it's personalized and where it's rooted. So look at the introduction. Our worship is our response to God's love. We saw this last week. However, our response is more than a song. True worship, now this is important that we understand this, true worship changes us from the inside out as clearly seen in Romans chapter 1. Right now, I want to invite you to turn to two places this morning, Colossians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 1. We're going to first look at Colossians and then go to Romans. Now, as I, let me remind you where we ended up last week when it came to corporate worship. When we worship corporately, like what we're doing right now in this room, we are worshiping together who God is. We are celebrating together what God has done on our behalf, we are giving together to extend his heart and compassion to others. We are serving together using our gifts in service to him. So when you say, what happens when we show up? What happens when we come together? This is a picture of what I believe is true corporate worship. But corporate worship, as we saw last week, is also this idea that we long for before we gather that we, our desire is to come together, that we look forward in anticipation to come and be with the family of God to worship him just as we just spelled out moments ago. And then the idea of corporate worship is also something in the fact that we miss it when we cannot gather. As we said last week, uh, there's some who can't gather in the room with us. They, they feel for their safety or uh, when it comes to their health, they can't do that. And so I know that they are missing it. Many of them are letting me know that they're missing it. And, and, but it's that longing, that missing it. It's something that just doesn't feel right when we can't come together. And then also, and this is where it's leading into today, corporate worship, we bring it when we come together. We don't come here to muster it up. We come here because it's already in our hearts. It's already something that we're ready to come together and do together. And so many of us have this idea that uh, we compartmentalize our lives and we say, okay, uh, we, we got to go. We got to at least worship God one time a week. We got we to get there at 9.30 or 11. Y'all are so much more than that. The idea of worship is much broader than any time we come together, but it is coming together. So look on your outline. The purpose of worship, number one, as we saw last week, is to respond to God's love. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were helpless, when we were hopeless, he initiated the love. He brought love to our hearts. Number two, the purpose of worship is to magnify Jesus. We're here to lift his name up. We're here to, to, to join the angels, to join those, a picture that we see in Revelation chapter 4. We're joining them together corporately to bring our praise to him, to magnify his name. And then lastly, the purpose of worship is to attempt to see God as he really is, 
then in turn see ourselves as we truly are. You know, in the Bible, there's many portraits of worship, beautiful pictures of worship. When you look at Luke chapter 1, and Mary's just been told by the angel that she's going to have a child, and that child is most holy, and of course, we know who the child is. It's going to be Jesus. Uh, when you get to the end of Luke chapter 1, you hear, you see the beautiful worship that comes from her heart as a result of, of the response that she's having towards what God has set in motion in her life. It is a beautiful worship. It is. You need to read it for yourself, Luke chapter 1. And then there's another couple of places where uh, many of you know the sisters, Martha and Mary, the, uh, their sisters to Lazarus, you, you know the story. And, and Mary and Martha, they kind of go at one another occasionally in the Bible. We kind of see that with sibling rivalry in our own lives, don't we? And, and, and then there comes that time where Jesus shows up at Mary and Martha's house, and Martha's in there slaving away, trying to get everything done for the meal, playing the great hostess that she is. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And is, was that a beautiful scene of unity and everything? No, 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 no. Martha was like, Jesus, tell her to get in here and help me. That's literally what she was saying. And Jesus, you know what he said? And if you were Martha, you probably thought to yourself, uh-uh. But here's what Jesus said. Hey, Martha, Mary has chosen the greater thing, the best thing. She's sitting at my feet. She's sitting there. Nothing will be taken away from her from what she's doing right now. And it was really a picture of worship. But Martha, many of you would say, but Martha, someone's got to cook. Someone's got to be the hostess. And, and many of you have those gifts that lend itself to that. And, and that can be a demonstration of worship by doing. But Jesus was saying at that moment that Mary chose the better thing, the best thing. And that was to sit at the feet of Jesus. You fast forward a little later, and, and the disciples are gathered together in the same house, it appears, and, and Mary is, comes into the room, and she anoints Jesus' feet with, with perfume. You remember the story? Same Mary. And again, she's ridiculed for her worship. Judas said, can't we use that money to feed the poor? He recognized what was going on there was very expensive. And you see, so many times, worship, the concept of worship, the idea of worship is something that is much more than what we do when we come here. It's the act of becoming, and we're going to find more about that in just a moment. But it all begins in what I would see when it comes to the idea of what we find in Isaiah chapter 6. I want you to look here on the screen at these verses. But again, this is another portrait of worship. And see what it leads to. It says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Basically what the idea there is, above all other thrones. And the train of his robe filled the temple. It's interesting that the way this is phrased, the king may have died, but God still lives. The world may be falling apart, but God's still in control. That's really the scene that we find here in verse 1. And above it, seraphim. These are special agents of, of angels. Each who had, one, had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You say, well, is there a snapshot of that anywhere else in Scripture? Absolutely. Revelation chapter 4, you can see it. He's seeing what is going on around the throne of God. This is Isaiah. 
as the post, and the, look what he says, as a result of all that, being caught up in this moment, the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Basically, he saw the Lord as he was in his rightful place. Now, let me just tell you this. That is the beginning of worship. When we see God as he truly is in his rightful place, that's when worship begins. But it doesn't end there. It begins there, but it doesn't end there. Here, look at the next part. So I said, this was Isaiah's response, woe is me, for I am undone. He's basically looking at this, thinking that I'm basically destroyed by this scene. This, this thing just breaks me to the core. He realizes his hopelessness, his helplessness. And then look at what he says, because I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in this moment. He is who he says he is. I'm in awe. But boy, woe is me. Woe is me. This is a picture of true worship. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know, um, I understand what you're saying about worship. I understand corporate worship. And there's uh, even a place in the Bible where it's commanded. We come together. We assemble together. I know all that. I know that right now you're saying it needs to be a part of my personal life. And oh, most definitely. But where does it begin? By seeing God as he truly is. And in return, seeing yourself as you truly are. And then what you see in that moment and what comes of that moment becomes your act of worship before God. Because let me just tell you this, you'll never be the same when you encounter this. Isaiah was never the same. The people who have true worship before God are never the same. And that is the picture that we find here. Now, let's look at the, uh, the process of worship. Where, where can we find the idea of, of, of where it begins and where it takes us? Now, we just talked about the generic form of where it begins. It begins with seeing God as he truly is. It begins seeing us where we are in light of who he is. But it continues. The process of worship begins in the word. You say, well, God's revealed himself in so many different ways, and, and he has. Two ways in specific that he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself through nature. Romans 1 tells us that. Romans 1 basically says this. I'm going to put it in a nutshell. You're basically an idiot if you don't believe there's a creator. Okay? That's pretty much what it says. The psalmist even say it in his own way. But when you get to Romans chapter 1, he's saying, look around. Look around. But God didn't just generally reveal himself through nature. He specifically revealed himself through his word. What we know about who God is best comes to us by way of his word. And when we read stories like Isaiah, what we just read, we see the response, and it would be the same response anyone would have if they were ushered into the presence of the throne of God. And it would show us as we truly are. But it begins with the word. word. we got to know the word. So look at verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell means set up residence. It literally means it becomes a part of who you are, and it comes in richly. Next, not only begins in the Word, it inspires others. The worship that we have 
at a personal level, when we take our personal worship and we bring it here corporately or when we get around other believers, it should be something that inspires other people. It should. We should inspire one another. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. How? In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. It leads to something. It involves others. It's not just something that's just totally dedicated to God, even though it starts there. It's not just that we're seeing who are ourselves and who we are, but from that comes the involvement of other people in our lives. And that's where the corporate worship comes in. Next, the process of worship celebrates God. Verse 16, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. How? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. To the Lord. Now, I haven't had a grandchild moment in many weeks. (laughs) I got one for you. Yesterday, we went as a family to, to the bike trail there in Far City, and we were there, and I, I had the privilege to pull Abe in the little cart behind. You know how that looks with kids? You know people pull their dogs that way? <laughs> kind of strange, but anyway. But, but anyway, um, yeah, that, that really messed me up seeing the dog in the back. But, but, but um, Abe was in the back back there, and I was pulling him, and, and he's back there. He's like, hey, granddaddy, let's, let's stop and do this. Hey, granddaddy, let's do this. Let's do that. And then he got real quiet, and I looked back there, and, and uh, he began singing, Alleluia, Alleluia. And his little hand was up, and I was like, God, four years old, man, teaching me how to have personal worship. I'm up there just going as strong as I can. <laughs> and he's back there singing, worship songs. And and I thought to myself, no wonder Jesus said that children will lead us into the innocence and the purity of worship and that whole idea of who he is by children. Now, he's not always that way. I just want to let you know. (laughs) But in that moment, he captured basically what I'm trying to say here today. He, He found a moment where it could just, a moment of his life where it could just break out in praise. That's what God's looking for. That's what he desires. And and he's celebrating. So it celebrates God. The process of worship extends into daily living. Look at verse 17. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's basically saying everything you do as you go, it is worship. It's your worship. Anybody lose it at work this week? Anybody lose it with a family member this week? Worship. We miss it, don't we? The process of worship next awakens praise. I mean, it's just one of them things where we just see him as he truly is. And some people say, well, what's the difference between worship and praise? Me personally, I bring praise as a form of worship. I think it leads to something. I think the worship leads to something in our hearts that wants to respond back to God. And that is our praise. Because how do we look at this? Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. It's gratitude. It's praise. 
It's bringing it back before him. Beautiful picture of worship. Next, and this is where I want to camp out this morning. The personification of worship. If you haven't turned to Romans 12, go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, I want to give you a definition of personification. It's when a person embodies a quality or an attribute of another. It's literally the idea of becoming alike. It's when a person becomes as a, like another. Okay? Now, now, if you study Scripture carefully, what you'll find is that God has desired discipleship to take us to become more like Jesus. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So that process, because that's what God desires, that's the mark of obedience, that's the mark of, of great things, it becomes the idea, I believe, of worship. So true discipleship is becoming more like Jesus, and it begins with personal worship. What does that look like? Well, first of all, look on your outline. There's dedication to God. Responding to mercy, literally, what we're getting ready to read, is surrendering your total life to Christ. That is your primary worship, okay? It's literally laying your life before him, allowing him to help you to become who he intends you to be. And we're going to dissect that now. So look on your outline. Characteristics of dedication to God. Number one, it is a response. Just like what we said last week. Look at the word there. It says, therefore. Therefore is there. He says, I beseech you. He's basically, Paul is basically saying, I beg you. You got to get this right. That's what he's saying when he says, I beseech you. You got to get this. Therefore. It's based on what I just wrote to you. Brethren. Countrymen, those of you who are out there trying to make yourself worthy before God, those of you who think you have the pride, there's pride welling up in your heart, and you're out there and you're thinking, yeah, I can make myself presentable to God. I can make myself worth something to God. And by the way, that's what a lot of the religious community was attempting to do in that day. Paul himself was on that journey. But he's basically saying, no, 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 no. You got to look at this differently. You're totally missing it. And I beg you, to get this right, okay? By the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. So we're responding to the mercies of God. That's where it starts. Next characteristic of dedication to God, it is voluntary. How do we know? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Some of your translations say that you offer your bodies. It's no different. It's the language of the sacrificial system we read in the Old, old Covenant. It's the idea that we lay ourselves before him. It means to voluntarily surrender. I am yours to become whatever you want me to be. That's the idea here. Another characteristic of dedication to God, it is practical. Look what he says again in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present what? Your bodies. Your bodies. Now, why would God want your body? It's basically God is saying, give me what you have. Give me what is apparent to you. Give me that. Why doesn't God say, offer your soul or your spirit? He says bodies. If God has your body, listen, and you know this. If God has your body and its desires, he has you. If he becomes the object of your desire, your body will fall in line. It will. That's the problem in our world today is our desires and our cravings are longing for the things of this world. But he's saying, give that part to me. 
When you give your body, it means you're giving yourself. He is saying, what I desire and require is very practical. Very practical. He's basically saying, let your worship to me be practical. And again, where's he going to lead with this? It's the idea of becoming. Becoming. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So another characteristic of dedication to God, it is surrender. It's where we get the idea of sacrifice. So verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Sacrifice here means an unconditional dedication to God. Usually when we think of a sacrifice, and many of you have heard me say this and other people say this, we think of something that is dead. But this is saying a living sacrifice, right? The Old Testament, what was it? It's a dead sacrifice. That, that sacrifice, that animal, once it's dead, is not going to crawl off that altar. Now in the new covenant, it's a living sacrifice. Does that imply it can crawl off the altar? Absolutely. There's one problem, as I said, with a living sacrifice. It can remove itself from the altar. And that is why it is a daily sacrifice. Listen to Luke chapter 9. Jesus is there talking to the crowds. The picture is that we have the disciples sitting there. We've got the people sitting there. They're all around. The, the crowds are becoming numerous. And Jesus ups the ante, basically. Here's what he says. If anyone desires to come after me, if you think, if, if you think I know the best and you think I've, I'm the answer to what your needs are, let him deny himself, take up his cross, how? Daily and follow me. He's up in the ante. He's basically saying, he's really pointing to the idea of worship. He's bringing them back to the attitude and the demonstration and the practicalities of worship. Notice says, notice that also says holy and acceptable to God. In the Greek language, it says well-pleasing to God, which means it makes God happy when we commit ourselves to him. When we lay ourselves before him and basically say, here is my practical worship. Here is who I am. Everything you long for through my life, everything you want me to be, everything that I am becoming, I lay it before you. Next, we not only have dedication to God, but we have inspiration from God. Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. It's your rational service. Well, what is the reason for dedication? He says, I urge you in the view of God's mercies. What are we responding to? What are we responding to? He's basically saying, and this is what I just told you should be what should be expected. Why would it be expected? Look at everything God has placed before us. Paul is literally, I think, referring back to the previous chapters. He, he's told you over and over again everything that the salvation will give you. And now it's, it, this is reasonable. This is rational that we return and respond to that in the way that he desires us to. Well, what are we responding to? Listen to this. These are not on the screen. Just listen. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it rational now that we should lay our lives before him as an act of worship? Just that one will get you there. 
about this, Romans 5, 5. Now, now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It doesn't end there. Romans 5, 8, 9, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were still sinners, helpless, hopeless, couldn't do anything about it, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath through him. That right there should be enough to say, okay, God, whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> this is my response and it is my worship. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. Sounds horrific, doesn't it? But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, I thank God, how? Through the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord. Doesn't end there. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 15, for, for you did not receive the, spon, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit's adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Think of that. He's not some foreign God out there. He's not some God who's, God who's far away that if we'll throw an animal sacrifice and hope things go just right. No, he is here. He is in our midst. He is right before us. He's daddy now. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Boy, that should blow your mind. And heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all things, that's all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither uh, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is basically saying, do you see what he's put on the table? Do you see what he's offering? Do you see what he's done on your behalf? What should your response be? Well, your response should be to lay yourself before him. And it begins with that act of worship to do that. To say, God, I'm nothing my life means nothing based on everything that you've done for me and everything that you've done. And I lay myself before you in, in desire to become all that you desire to me for me to become. That is worship. That's at the heart of worship. It is our spiritual worship. Next, the personification of worship dedicated to God, inspiration, uh, inspiration from God. And number three, insulation from the world. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. He's talking about the world's value system, the me first attitude. Conforming to the world. Listen, if you want to get off track from what Romans chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is saying, the quickest way to get off track is to listen to the world. To try to be conformed in its own image. To, to let it mold you into what it desires. Have you ever felt pressured by the world to conform? Peer pressure. You know, it wasn't that long ago. I remember as a student pastor many, many years ago. I got, I'm a student pastor many, many years ago. I'm starting to have the kids that were in my ministry have grandkids now. That is terrible, just to be honest with you. <laughs> 
But, but, but you know what's interesting? I remember many years ago being a student pastor and talking about, to them about peer pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure, peer pressure. And that was that. Fast forward 20-some years later. It's amazing that that's everybody's problem. And it always has been everybody's problem. But it's amazing how, the, I just want to ask you a question. Maybe I'm not judging it fairly, but I think I'm seeing it fairly consistently. And again, social media can be a wonderful tool. We use it around here all the time. But how many of y'all think that maybe social media has set us all back to the eighth grade? You ever notice what people are putting on there? Some of the same conversations I had on recess in the eighth grade. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's true. We've digressed. Now we're basically, we're all in it together. We're all eighth graders trying not to conform to the world, to the peer pressures around us. And it's this idea that, that we need to be insulated from the world. We're in the world, but we need to be insulated from. Where are we being insulated from? Well, uh, uh, basically, the Bible uh, saying don't imitate the world's values. What's the world's values? What are we hearing? Get all you can get. Live your truth. If it feels good, do it. The heart wants what the heart wants. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And it's so unbiblical. That's conforming to the world. That will take you off the path of personal worship. Next, the personification of worship, dedication to God, inspiration from God, uh, insulation from the world, transformation by God. Look at what he says in verse uh, 2 again, uh, the middle part. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Why would you do that? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul was talking about the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside so that we will know what God desires us to become. The word transform there, many of you have done the study or you've heard me say it, in the Greek literally means metamorphosis. That's the whole picture. And that means to change the very nature of something. This means to change your life is to change your thoughts. How do you do that? By being transformed. How do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. You got to leave the thought processes of the world and conform yourself not to the world, but to God's desires, transforming you beyond that. What are the characteristics of transformation? Look on your outline. Number one, it is life altering. That's the whole idea of what renewing is up to. It's trying to, to alter everything about you, everything about you, life altering. If you were to say, do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Have I accepted the terms of his salvation? Am I fully living the intentions of God? Listen, if there's nothing life-altering about that decision, you're not there. That's what it's saying. It's verifiable. That's where he uses the word proof. It kind of goes back to what I just said. It will be proven. It's verifiable. That means there's changes. I'm not the same person I used to be. It is profitable, the idea of good. I found this to be very interesting. In Greek, the word good here means of best quality, of best quality. Isn't it amazing how all the messages of the world basically brings the message, if you want to have the best quality of life, take this, get this, receive this. Isn't that kind of what we hear? Everybody's trying to pitch the best quality. You got to have a certain car. How many of y'all remember um, 
cars that uh, you had to go around and push the lock buttons down. You remember that? Well, my car is starting to show a little age. Two of mine don't work anymore. Now, I always make a point to make sure a grandchild's in the car with me so they can go around and lock all the doors because I'm used to just hitting a button, okay? But the point that I'm trying to make here is that, is that we, we live in a world that basically says modify your life around what we present it to be, around what we like about you, around what we don't like about you. Have you noticed that, some of the messages that come our way? Modify itself. If you don't have this and you don't have everything, you don't have the best quality of life. If you're thinking like this, you don't have the best quality of life. And it goes on, but what he's saying here, he's saying it's profitable, it's good, it's the best quality. That's what God's going to bring when we offer ourselves to him. God's plan is for a good life. It doesn't mean a life that's not going to be without suffering. We know that that's part of it, don't we? Because we live in a fallen world, we're dealing with fallen people, we will be hurt. But through it all, it's all going to come together. Another characteristic transformation. This is maybe the most important. It is well-pleasing. It's the idea of being acceptable. The word acceptable in Greek means satisfying. You will never be any happier or more satisfied than when you are in and doing what God desires you to be and do. What you are becoming in him is the greatest of satisfaction. King Solomon, read Ecclesiastes. I mean, listen, what Ecclesiastes, uh, the nutshell of the message it's trying to, to bring should be everything that we study about as we deal with this world. Paul, you, I mean, excuse me, uh, Solomon, you remember everything he said? I tried everything the world had. I tried everything that, that it offered. I thought, I thought I could find the best quality of life here, 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 here. It, it was all vanity. It didn't, it didn't lend itself to anything. It was just fleeting. I was in the tailspin until we found God and the desires that God had for him. Lastly, characteristic of transformation. And I've never seen this until I was studying this recently. It is the goal. Transformation is the goal. The word perfect there literally means when you begin to look at and search it out, it means you're reaching your destination. You're moving towards the destination that's been out there for you. It literally means that God's plan for your life is tailor-made. It is uniquely designed for you. It fits you perfectly. It does not fit anyone else. It just fits you. It is a custom fit. It literally means you're an original. Only you. This is what blows my mind. Only you, because of the way God designed you, can bring the type of worship you can bring to the heart of God. Didn't that blow your mind? All those people around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4. It's a picture of, of the worship. Uh, we understand all the nations of the world will be there. Everything will be there. And yet every one of us, he's not going to see us as just a bunch of people worshiping him. There's what we ha I offered, you offered, this person offered. Uh, because he uniquely made us in the way that we did. And the way we worship him is the most unique and only way that it can be worshiped is through your own personal life. The uniqueness of your life carries into your worship. You will be the only unique one who can worship the way God designed you to worship. You ever got your mind around that? By living in God's will, it releases you from comparisons which lead to competition. How many of you see that? We're being played 
Y'all know that, don't you? Everybody out there are building comparisons. Why can't I have this? Why not? You do know them people on social media. They lying, don't you? You know that their life ain't that good. Matter of fact, you know what I found? Oh, man, I probably shouldn't say this, but I feel like I should. <laughs> a lot of times the people who are trying to impress you the most are struggling the most. Just going to put it out there. They're trying to, in their mind, live something beyond what is actually might be you can't deal with it. Might be maybe they just, it's not what you think it is. And it leads to competition. I remember when I was a young pastor. Well, I wasn't even pastor yet. Well, I was just beginning, early 90s. And how many of you always feel like there's, <laughs> how many of you feel like sometimes there's always that person you're in competition with? You go through this season of life, there's this person you're in competition with. You go through this season of life, there's this competition. Am I the only one that feels that sometimes? I finally have matured through all that. I really have. And there's some things God showed me. But back in the early 90s, I was just beginning to get into ministry. I felt like God's calling my life. I started looking around at all the men I was surrounded with who were called into ministry. And, man, they had gifts like you just would not believe. I mean, um, and there was this one guy. And, and he was called to ministry about the same time I was. And, 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 and to be honest with you, he was the competition. I hate to admit that, he was. And so we left the same church back in Wilmington, and I came this way, he went another way. And before you know it, it's like everything just kind of opened up for him. How many of you feel like, ever seen that? When, that person, you feel like the whole world just opens up to him. And you're like, you know. That was me. And, and I'll be honest with you, I struggled. Because I didn't look like, my gifts didn't look like the people, even the mentors I have, my gifts didn't look like theirs. What he had looked more like theirs. It was almost like he was on the road to success, no matter what he did, however. It was like, bam. And I was just kind of sitting over here. You know what I'm talking about? I'll never forget the people who helped me to work through that. One of them was a, 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 a man that has passed on, but many of you may know him when I call his name, Adrian Rogers. You ever heard of Adrian Rogers? Adrian Rogers was a, a remarkable pastor. He really was. I mean, I still remember some of the sermons he's preached over the years, and he's gone on to be with the Lord. But I, back in the early 90s, I was at the, the, the epitome of this competition. I mean, my heart was disturbed. I was wondering, God, do you really care <laughs> where I am in this process? And I went up to Adrian Rogers, and if you know Adrian Rogers, he's very well known. I mean, me meeting him was like many of you meeting Billy Graham. This guy was the epitome, okay? I mean, I was shaking. How you doing? You know, I mean, it was one of those moments, okay? And, and, and there was a line behind me. And I just went up to him. I said, I'm a young pastor. I said, do you have any word that you can give me about, you know, something he said, why don't we go over here and talk? He took me over to a corner of the room. We, I was leaving the line. I was like, see ya. <laughs> and we sat down for about 15 minutes. He poured in my life. I didn't tell him what was going on in my heart. But one of the first things he said was this. Don't try to be anyone else 
be you. And I was like, man, God does speak through this guy. I mean, it's the very first thing he said. And at that moment, not to say I didn't struggle a little bit later, but at that moment is when my heart started being transformed into what God was calling me to be and do and the gifts he gave me. And guess what? Every other young pastor I come across, I tell them the exact same words. And there's some of them, you know, that kind of hold on and oh, I want to be the next Billy Graham. Big mistake. You be you. Let him use you how he wants to use you. And here's where I'm coming with that. Because he created you uniquely. You're the only one who can worship him in the way that he created you. You're, not only will you be unique, but the way you serve him, the way you become, what you become in him will be your own unique worship to him that won't be like anybody else's. That should blow our minds. That we won't be a, just a group of people of the nations that will gather around the throne of God and worship him for eternity. But there's, there's only one of me that will be there. Blows my mind. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. In conclusion, God is more interested in who you are becoming in him than what you're doing for him. You say, can you prove that? Oh, yeah. You ever heard the group called the Pharisees? Remember them guys? Did Jesus, did he get all gushy when he got around the Pharisees? No, he was pointing fingers when he got around them. Woe to you. Woe to you. You don't want the creator of the universe, final judge, saying woe to you. And that's what he was doing. They put everything about their worship to God in what they did. What they did, what they did, what they did. It was not who they were becoming. It was what they did and what they did and what they did. And Jesus called them out. He basically was saying, you're not becoming what God desires you to be. That is your worship. Who we are becoming in him should be the greatest ambition of our worship. Then comes what we do for him. It's a natural outflow. The doing will come. The becoming is the most important thing. This is your greatest ambition of your worship before him. Becoming all that he desires. This is the sacrifice of my life to become what you desire. That's it. The doing will find its way out. But we are the becoming. Our heart each week as pastors is that when you come to join us in corporate worship, that you are bringing the worship with you from your own personal worship. That this past week, you became a little more of what he desires you to be. And as a result, we come into this place, we're giving him his due. He's worthy of all praise, and no one else is worthy of any of it that we're celebrating who he is, that we're celebrating what he's done in our lives. And when we come together and we lift our voices together in unison because that our personal worship, because that's what's going on in our life, it will transform this room we meet in when that happens. Because that's what he desires. We bring the worship. So what is keeping you from personal worship? What is keeping you from becoming all that God desires you to be? Isaiah saw God and then he saw himself, which in turn led him to confession and basically the idea of repentance. 
He saw who he was. That's the beginning. It has to start there. Some of you are sitting here, and let's just be honest. There's a lot of you, there's a lot of you sitting here. It's been a long time since you had personal worship before God. Because something encamped itself in your soul, in your life. Maybe it was bitterness. Maybe it was uh, something that was out there. Maybe you thought God was unfair. And, but something has kept you from personal worship for a long time. I'm asking you to, to, to go beyond that. Allow your life to be transformed. That's the part that you're missing right now. He wants to transform your life. Where does it be? Begin in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Here it is. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Repent. Turn away from whatever that is keeping you from personal worship. Therefore, be converted. There's the transformation. That your sins may be blotted out. That you're not moving with the sin, but you're moving away from the sin. You're moving towards God. Why would you want to do that? That times of refreshing. How many of you are tired of playing games? of the hypocritical life that you're living. He wants to bring a time of refreshment to your life. I've seen this happen in people's lives. I really have. I've seen people, for me, it's mostly men. I've seen men who are just so stubborn and so hard. How many of you, just hard, you know what I'm saying? And God just do, and that's the great thing about being in the same church for over 30 years. It's the fact that you get to watch that, and then you see that man just become something different in Christ. They are starting to become, and all of a sudden, it's almost like their whole face reflects it. They changed. The refreshing came. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you ever seen that? And they're different. They're not the same person. So that times of refreshing may come from where? The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord leads us to worship. It always will. It always will. And that's the goal. Would you stand to me this, with me this morning and your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, I just come to you right now, and Lord, I don't know where everyone is in this room. Lord, I, I know you know that there's been times in my spiritual journey that I wasn't an object of, or I wasn't the one to, to worship you in the way you desired to be worshiped. There's times I was holding things back. There were times I was stubborn. There were times, I'll be honest with you, and you know this, I didn't think you were fair. And it hindered not only my worship, but what you desired in me becoming. Father, I thank you for those times of refreshing that came to my life. When I, when I meant business, when I got sick and tired of living a hypocritical life, when I got sick and tired of putting on the face and doing the thing, and but Lord, I thank you for the refreshing that came. I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for the person that may be in this room that's never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. They've never began the journey I'm talking about here today. But maybe for the first time, they saw that you have placed worth in them. And that worth is the response that we give back to you. And Father, maybe that's the first time they've seen this. I pray before they leave here today or by way of email, they'll talk with us this week. But Father, I believe there's people in this room that, that would say that they've professed to know you for many, many years. And there was a time where it was so real that the presence of you being there was so real that, that it's been years since it's taken place. Father, I pray you'll bring them back. As the song says, 
heart of worship. Bring them back to a heart of worship that the hardness will be made soft, that the sin will now be something that is turned away from and cling to you in worship. Father, I thank you for my personal journey. I thank you for the patience that you've had with me personally, the long suffering. But Lord, I thank you for those fresh moments of knowing I'm becoming something in you. I pray you give us all that assurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us this morning? My prayer is that God has done a work in your life this morning. Would you sing with us?